Bibles this morning. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And when you've got that, just keep your finger in it because we'll be getting there in a little while. But not straight away. Amen. Feel the confirmation of our direction this morning through the gifts of the Spirit. It's always good to be reassured by the presence of the Lord that we're on the same track. You know, there's, it's not really complicated, but if we're all led by the Spirit, we're all going the same way. That's the challenge. That's the challenge for the church of the living God is that we would be led by His Spirit and guided by His Spirit to do what He wants us to do. Amen. At the beginning of every year, we often take a service to speak about and refresh our vision and our goals for that coming year and what we feel like the Lord wants us to aim for. The bottom line of all of that is, as the psalmist said, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. What's interesting to me about that verse is that it doesn't excuse us from laboring, but in fact, it assumes that we are laboring, that we are working. But the principle is that unless it is what God is wanting to build, unless it is being built God's way and according to God's plan and purpose, then all of our effort, no matter how much we put in, will be pointless and wasted. And so our vision needs to be His vision. Now, sometimes we feel a pressure to be creative about vision, and there's nothing wrong with, with, with that to a certain extent. But we need to stay on track and pour our energy into something that is the will and purpose of God. Sometimes even when we put our efforts into what may be perceived to be a good thing, it can be in vain. In a very simplistic sense, the church exists in the earth for the purpose of seeing the lost saved. That is why the church is here. Now that includes the already saved staying that way and becoming involved in more people becoming saved. Amen. And everything we do must come from that approach, from that understanding. Each of our departments and our church as a whole must be about souls. And when we consider the things that we do to strengthen believers, such as teaching and training, Bible studies and prayer meetings, even that purpose to strengthen believers is that they may be a part of what God is doing through His church. So ultimately, it's about souls. Now, our national church has a set of goals, and I'm not going to read them out in, in, in depth, but they, they cover three basic areas. One, there are growth goals. We want to see souls added to the kingdom of God. Two is the development of leaders, training people to serve to that same end. And three is the strengthening of an apostolic culture, or affirming the apostolic doctrine and seeing the demonstration of the miraculous power of God. And again, all of those goals still focus on one thing, and that's souls. We need the truth of God's Word to see people saved. We need the demonstration of the power of God's Spirit, that people would know that God is real, that He is alive, and that He can minister to them that they may be saved. We want people to be ready to meet the Lord. We want people to be established so that as life goes on, as we heard through the gifts of the Spirit, that they would be strong and that they would be faithful. And a part of being strong and being faithful is getting involved, is serving in some capacity in the kingdom of God. And my vision... For this church, let me be transparent this morning. I find it awkward saying my vision, but that's my responsibility, is to have a vision for this church. And my vision for this church has been the same for some years now. We may add points along the way. We may modify some parts of it, but its basic identity does not change. And most of our leaders have a copy of this. And if you would like a copy, you're more than welcome to come and see me for one. But my vision for our church is that it would be a church where the presence of God, the love of God, and the power of God would be a part of every single service. That doesn't mean that every service that people are running the aisles or, as they like to say in the States, biting the ceiling. Not every service is like that, but every service ought to be a demonstration of God's presence and of His power and His moving among us. Whether it's, whether it's the 
sometimes where it feels like God just opens the windows of heaven and it just pours down, or whether it's the gentle breeze that sometimes God's Spirit is as He moves among us. We need Him in every service. That needs to be our vision as a church, that God would be here every time we walk through the door, that we would not waste a service that every soul that comes in here would know that there's somebody here other than you and I. And as a part of that, my vision is that each of us would feel a personal responsibility for this church, for the kingdom of God, that it would be our God, our church, our gospel, and that evangelism would be inseparable from who we are, and that as Jesus loves souls, so would we. Amen. My vision for this church is that it would be a place that teaches and trains men and women for service and ministry. We're not all called to preach, but we're all called to serve. We're all called to evangelize. And if you've been around me for very long, you know I feel quite strongly about raising up preachers of the gospel. My vision for this church is not to build a mega church of thousands. I'm not interested in having a congregation of two, three, or four. If the Lord wills that and it happens, we're not going to resist that. But I would rather see us plant churches across this city. I'd rather see us put lighthouses across the city of Perth. And I'm encouraged by the fact that that's the same vision that Brother Paulus has on the south side of town. That is our vision for this city. Amen. To raise up groups of people and plant them. Amen. And to comment briefly before I get into the word this morning on each of those points, we have great services. I believe that. I believe this is a great church. I believe we have a great move of the Spirit here. I believe we enjoy the presence and the power of the Lord. But I believe God can do more. Amen. And I want us to see that power and that presence become a part of our lives every day outside of these walls. I don't mean to be blunt, but some people, this is your fix every week. This needs to be a place where you find refuge and strength, but this is not your fix. You've got to know His presence and His power Monday through Saturday as well. Amen. We desperately need to be here. We do. It's biblical to be in God's house. But it is unbiblical to be out of His presence when you're not in God's house. Amen. Bless the Lord. We, we are giving ourselves as a church to prayer every Wednesday night for a season. You're aware of that. I'm going to keep plugging that because I want to encourage you to be here Wednesday nights to pray together as a church we we've got to get ourselves in line with him you see he's the one who doesn't change he's the one who is constant he's the one whose word is forever settled in heaven we are the ones that fluctuate we are the the human race that goes this way and goes that way and runs to and fro and pursues this philosophy and that philosophy and as his people we've got to align ourselves with his word his spirit and his thinking And the only way that happens is through prayer and through the Word of God that it would change the way that we think. Amen. And I want to invite you to join us every Wednesday night if you can for prayer, but I want to raise that a little bit further and challenge you to fast with us every Wednesday. Not quite such a positive response. Somebody's thinking about the roast that's in the oven at home at the moment. You don't have to fast today. You can eat that roast. But if you're able to, if we will join together as a church in prayer and fasting each Wednesday, we're not twisting God's arm. If you're not familiar with fasting, it's not some weird sort of self-flagellation where God wants us to harm ourselves. Even the medical professionals will tell us it's actually not a bad thing to go without food from time to time. Now, your body will not agree with that theory. Because some of us, if we try to fast, by the time we get to morning tea, we feel like someone's cut our throat. And even vegetables look good. But if we will take this flesh and put it to death, not literally, nobody's dying today. But if we will say, God, I want to put my will, my desires, my carnal lusts aside and set myself to pursue him. I don't change his mind. I don't twist his arm. I don't make him reluctantly do something. What happens is I align myself with him. And so there's my challenge. I'm not going to be keeping a checklist standing here on Wednesday night. I'll be able to tell by how some of you look when you walk in. 
Some people, you know, the Bible says when you fast to anoint yourself, wash your face, live like you normally would. For some of us, that's harder than others when we haven't had something to eat. We get hungry and then we get hangry. That's the word we use in our house when somebody wants to eat and it's taking too long. We get hangry. We want some food now. But when we come to God's house on Wednesday nights, let's come with purpose. Let's come with a desire to draw near to Him. Amen. There's a, there are some things we're looking to review and put in place this year about how we operate and how we function as a, as a church, and those things are important, but above all, it's got to be Him. It's got to be what He wants to do in our midst. Amen. Bless the Lord. And I, again, with being transparent, I personally want to do a better job of communicating this vision to the church. It's only going to become reality if we each catch it, if we each personalize the fact that it is what we want to do for the kingdom of God. And the night of Wednesday night, we were here praying, and sometimes during our prayer meetings, we just feel led to pray for one another, and different people were praying, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Somebody came and laid hands on me while I was down here praying. You know, I don't think it's wrong to lay hands on your pastor. In fact, he needs it probably more than anybody else. Somebody came and laid hands on me and began to pray for me, and they made a statement. They said something along the lines of, let his vision be my vision. And that only works if it's God's vision. But we've got to make it our vision as individuals that we want to see the power of God in our midst. We've got to have a love for souls. There's a big world out there that needs to be saved. It's only going to happen if we do something about it. You know, it's going to cost you something to reach the lost. I was thinking about this when I was in prayer and study yesterday. Some of you know Brother and Sister Nightingale. They're very dear friends of mine, and I want you to keep them in your prayers. But, you know, I've known them a long time. But Brother and Sister Nightingale were married at 19. Who's 19? Any 19-year-olds here? Who's close? I know Cass is turning 18. Got a few others. I can't even imagine being married at 19. Brother and Sister Nightingale were married at 19. Sister Nightingale was pregnant before their first anniversary. And uh, they were working hard but not making a lot of money. They bought a little house that wasn't much of a house, and they wouldn't mind me saying that. They'd agree with me very clearly. But, you know, I remember very, almost as if it was yesterday, there was a little tiny room at the front of the house. It wasn't a full-size bedroom. I don't even know what it was meant to be in the original plan. Maybe, maybe the size of a bathroom. It just came off the master bedroom. And they took that little room and they painted it blue as they were having a little boy. They prepared that thing and they did whatever they could to create somewhere for new life. You may not have much, but if you're willing to put something aside to create a space in your life for new life, God will use you to reach the lost. He's not reluctant to save souls. He wants to save souls. He's got to get us on the same page. We've listened too long to the lies that say, oh, people don't they're not interested. I've tried. They don't care. You don't know what's going on inside someone's heart. The book says that only he knows what is going on. But we've got to be willing to put in the effort. You know, it's wonderful to look around our church this morning and see the transformed lives that are here. And some of those, you might be able to say, hey, I, I had a part in that. And that's awesome. That's what it's all about. But if your part in that was two, three, five, ten years ago, it's too long. It's too long. We need to be involved in that process again and write some new stories. God, help us to be a church that trains laborers for the harvest. We're running Bible school. We're having ministry training for that purpose. We're giving young men and women opportunity to embrace their calling and to preach the word. Get behind our younger preachers. When I use that word younger, it's not necessarily physical. It's an experience. They're not always going to preach the house down. They're going to make mistakes. There's going to be some times I'm going to have to sit them down and say, hey, that revelation you just had, that's not really in the book. That's part of growing and learning. But let's be a church that allows them to do that. And I believe it is. I believe this is a church that gets behind our young people. And you've heard me say this before, but you weren't there when I started. And I, I'm not being falsely, false humil humility here, but these young people that preach are a whole lot better than the first few times I got behind the pulpit more than the first few times. 
There's some lovely ladies that are getting advanced in age in my home church in Townsville that have very fond memories of my preaching as a young man. But, you know, as you get old, your memory gets a bit. Some of you met Sister Arlene, Aileen Carley at conference, and she was telling some stories, amazingly good ones, about when I was a kid. See, that's what I'm worried about, the memory as she's getting older. But we have to give people the opportunity to serve. We have to allow them. You know, we've got some young people here that have been involved preaching in other churches in this country. They've even had the opportunity to go overseas. And we want to continue to see that happen. Amen. And in line with our vision, we are very excited, as most of you know, to be launching our daughter work in Bassendine next Sunday night. Next Sunday night will be the first service in Bassendine. We were there, some of us were there yesterday morning putting some invites and letterboxes and we're believing that God is going to do a work there. Amen. You know, it's been something that we've had in our hearts for several years. I don't know, for some people it's been frustrating to wait, but we have to wait for the Lord. And Even the Apostle Paul in Acts 16, there was a time where it seems he wanted to go into a particular part of Asia. He had a desire to go there to minister the Word of God. That's a good desire. It's a good desire to preach the word. It's a good desire to reach the lost. But they said that the Holy Ghost forbade them. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost. God said, you're not going there yet. Now, Paul could have ignored that and got on a ship and said, hey, it's the gospel. It needs to happen now. But he was wise enough to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And I have no doubt that the leading of God's Spirit has brought us to start this daughter work this year. Felt that direction last year and many things the Lord confirmed through other people. Amen. As I said before, I want to see this church outgrow this building. I do. I want to see us outgrow this place and move into a bigger church, but I want to see us plant churches across this city. You know why I'd like to see us outgrow this church, other than the fact that souls being saved? Give us more ability to plant in other places. Give us the capacity to put more people in different parts of this city. Amen. I want us to continue to be involved in missions. And I want to commend you as a church for your giving to missions. This is a giving church, and you need to be involved in that. We need to be a part of the kingdom of God beyond these walls and beyond our borders. And uh, not everybody gets to go to the mission field. I understand that. But uh, let me tell you, if you do get to go to the mission field, you need to be warned. It has an ability to get into your blood. It's like a virus. And once you've been involved in missions, it affects you. When I went to Pakistan last year, it was the first time I'd been on a mission field for a, a long, lot longer than I had in the last 10 years. And it was like I was getting itchy. I wanted to be involved in the field somehow. There's something about missions. And if you're not involved in missions, you need to pray about becoming involved and how you, you know, we, they took some pledges at conference for overseas missions a couple of weeks ago. We, we pledged some money as a church, and, but even some of our young people got up there no not working full-time jobs or anything just a small commitment it's about being involved in the kingdom of god amen and this year once a month brother david barrera is going to be giving us a little missions presentation and report and update to bring some of those things to our attention more than we have in the past and the first one of those will be next sunday morning so we're looking forward to that amen amen our theme for 2017 was first the kingdom taken from the book of matthew where we are instructed to seek first the kingdom of god and i believe that among us there were people who applied that theme to their lives saw the hand of god move in their lives saw what god could do if we would put him first and we always get a bit funny about numbers but numbers help us to have goals there's nothing wrong with having goals and in 2015 we set goals for 2020 now in 2018, which is amazing to even think about. But the targets that we've set for 2020, that we would have a number, when we think of everybody that comes to church, we would have a number of attendees at 200 people. Let me tell you something, this church won't hold 200 people. If I'm right, I think there's about 170 seats on the floor here. We wanted to have an average number of attendees on a Sunday at 170. Sorry, not 107, 170. We wanted to have an established daughter work with another preaching point started. We're on our way towards those goals. We've already working on the established daughter work. As a step towards the 2020 goals, last year's targets we set was to have the number of attendees at 130 and to have an average Sunday attendance of 100 people. 
to have 20 people baptized in Jesus' name and to have 20 people filled with the Holy Ghost and to begin a preaching point or a daughter work. The actual results for last year. The number of attendees is around about 115. That's always changed and it's hard to keep track of. But our average number of, of attendees on a given Sunday was 95 people. Now, that may not seem like a lot to you, but that's an increase of 20 on the previous year in average attendance on Sundays. That's a big jump. 2017, as far as I'm able to tell from my records, we baptized 11 people in Jesus' name, and there were 17 people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, you might say, well, we didn't reach the numbers. No, we didn't, but we had something to aim for. And we're going to continue to aim, and God's going to bless, and He's going to anoint our efforts, and we're going to see these things come to part. We, we had a goal last year to begin a preaching point. We missed it by about four weeks. We're launching it next weekend. That's an awesome thing. Amen. And I can give any of these figures to anybody that wants them, but our target for 2018 is to see the total number of people that I'm keeping track of increase to about 140 people and our average number of attendees on a Sunday to get to 110. We want to set a target again of seeing 20 people baptized in Jesus' name and 20 people filled with the Holy Ghost this year. Amen. And as the daughter work is established, I want us to set a goal for 10 new souls being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in Batsandine this year. That's not including the 20 here. That's 20 plus 10. Not two lots of 10. Amen. So they are our targets. The targets are great. Goals are great, but it's only going to happen if we're involved. I'll let you know, it doesn't matter how good I preach, can't do this on my own. It's got to happen through all of us. Amen. All right, let's do some Bible. Let's get to Isaiah chapter 53. I've covered some of that fairly quickly. I'm going to do my best to bring it up a bit more often. Very well-known passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. And starting at verse 1, it says, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Father, as we open your word this morning, Lord, and consider what our focus is for this coming year, we want your anointing. We want your direction, Lord, for unless you build the house, Lord, then all of this is pointless. So, God, we pray you'd anoint us this morning. Help us to catch this each as individuals, Lord, and as a body, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Some 700 years before the birth of Christ, in this chapter, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God about the time that God would manifest himself in the flesh to become our Savior. It's kind of mind-blowing when you consider the eternal quality of God, which is impossible to comprehend. But when you try to grasp the majesty of eternity, of how God exists from everlasting to everlasting, and yet so much of the focus of what we have in Scripture is placed upon a flicker of time, a period of just over 30 years when God manifest in the flesh would walk among men. So much of the Old Testament looks forward to it. So much of the New Testament looks back to it. And today we depend upon it. It's the reason that we're here. And yet in the scope of eternity against that incredible backdrop, so much hung upon this little portion of history when God would walk among men. And his suffering for us can never be fully understood. 
because we cannot grasp the price that he paid. We can consider medically the suffering his body went through, but we cannot comprehend the guilt, the shame, and the wrath of God that was poured upon him. We touched on that last Sunday morning. But we are not able to even begin to understand everything that he absorbed for us. In reality, as horrific as Calvary was, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to suggest that the guilt and the shame and the separation from God that his humanity felt was worse than what he suffered physically. That part we can't understand. That part we can never begin to measure. And that suffering was the only reason that we are here this morning. Like the older hymn says, thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood that still washes away our sins. And yet what is interesting to me is that also speaking about the incarnation or God being manifest in the flesh, the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 1 and 9. He said, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And if you know your scripture, you may know that that is actually a direct quote from the 45th Psalm where it says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows or above anybody else. And so the psalmist who was looking forward to Jesus coming and the writer of Hebrews who was looking backwards, declared that this man, this sinless man, who would be rejected, would be despised, would be a man of sorrows, would be acquainted with grief, would go through all of the horrific things that he did, would somehow at the same time be anointed with the oil of gladness more than any other person had ever been if you think about some of the songs we sang and the gifts of the spirit and even the exhortation that my wife gave while she was leading worship you will see that this is not a coincidence we read the same seemingly opposing idea in hebrews 12 where it talks about how for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross it seems to us to be impossible to reconcile the idea that he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And even he's, the Lord himself said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And as they hated me, they will hate you. And how he was mistreated by the very creation that he came to save. It does not seem to make sense to us that that man could also be anointed with the oil of gladness more than any other person that had ever been born. And so our theme for this year, for 2018, that I felt the Lord lay in my heart in the latter portion of last year, is taken from the first portion of Psalm 100, verse 2. If you want to throw that up there, please, Sophia. We may need to reformat a little bit. But this is the theme that God has laid on my heart for this year. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord, His anointing came from the Spirit of God. So I do not believe that it is too great a connection to make that if you have been filled with the Holy Ghost, you are also anointed with the oil of gladness. Not as much as He was, because He was above His fellows. But as much as we are able to contain it, we are also anointed when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, when we have that evidence of speaking in other tongues and we are adopted and become His sons and His daughters, the oil of gladness is upon us. And just like Jesus, there may be times that it is hard to reconcile your circumstance Think about the gifts of the Spirit this morning. With that oil of gladness, but there is a bigger picture that we have to keep our eyes on. Jesus had joy set before Him because how He 
felt and what he focused on was not dictated to by what he went through, but rather what he knew was about to come. The psalmist said, and many of you could quote this, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's have a little bit of honesty here. No hands necessary. We don't always feel glad, amen, to come to church. Even the pastor wakes up some Sunday mornings and says, not today, thanks. Fortunately, I get over that. Otherwise, you'd be seeing me absent a lot more than I am. When my alarm went off this morning, I didn't sleep too well last night. I was like, what in the world is that? What is that going off for? I was like, oh, it's Sunday. That's right. Going to get up and get ready to go to the house of the Lord. But I was glad the psalmist said. You know, every time David went to God's house, it wasn't in good circumstances. Every day wasn't a happy day. But he was glad to go to the house of the Lord. This year will mark the 40th year that I've been coming to an apostolic church at least three times a week. At least three times a week. You do the math. That's over 6,000 services. Brother Paul's probably got another, I don't know how many more thousand you've got on top of that, Brother Paul. You're probably up in the tens somewhere. Some of you others have got more than that. This is not a competition. This is just an example. But uh, if you allow for conferences and other gatherings where I've been in church every day of the week, the real number is probably more than 7,000 times. I've been in places where I've had to preach three and four times a day. That tends to add up pretty fast every day. Amen. I've heard a lot of preaching in those 6,000 plus services. Some of it was good. Most of it was good. I've had to listen to my own voice a whole lot more in the last 11 years than I did before that. I've been at the altar more times than I can care to count. I've been here, this altar, other altars, other places, the altar in my own home where I've had to come and make myself right with him again or let him make me right with him again and again, again and again. But I'm still glad to come to the house of the Lord, still glad to be in his presence. You see, when people lose their gladness about coming to church, They've taken their eyes off the bigger picture. They've forgotten what it's all about. Why we come? What's really, what's, what's the purpose of all of this? Just because we like singing and clapping and being entertained by somebody up in a pulpit and God forbid that it would be entertainment. But when we take our eyes off the bigger picture, our focus drops under the people that upset us and the distance we may have had to travel or the inconvenience or the sound being too loud or the air conditioner being too cold or the preacher being too strong, or any other thing that you can fill in the blanks with. And suddenly we're not glad to come to the house of God anymore. Some of those things might be legitimate. You don't think so, but sometimes you really upset one another. Sometimes, probably more than that, I really upset people. Sometimes I wonder if that's my spiritual gift. It probably is, but it's not God's spirit. And we can very easily take our eyes off what this is all about and what's going on in this world. But when I recognize that being here helps me to keep myself right with God, it helps to keep me ready for heaven, and it helps me to encourage somebody else to be ready for heaven, I'm still glad to come to the house of the Lord. I'm still glad. I, I've, and I'm, I'm, I can only use my own examples, but I've been in church services that were the most physically uncomfortable places you can imagine. I've been out in the desert, in the Tanami Desert, with more dogs than you could point a stick at. I've been in places in the back blocks of Indonesia where if it was any more humid in that service, it would have to literally rain inside the building. But it's the presence of God. Because in every one of those places, I've seen people respond to the move of God's Spirit. People respond to the preaching of God's Word because the atmosphere, the physical location is not what matters. But I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. And if I get a chance to do something, anything in the kingdom of God, to serve the Lord somehow, anyhow, I want to do it with gladness. 
I don't want to do it. I, we used to have an American preacher from Texas. He used to preach some of our youth camps when I was a teenager. He said, I don't have to serve God. He said, I get to serve God. That probably wasn't good English, but that's okay. They don't speak English in Texas anyway, do they, Brother Donald? They speak something else. But what he was saying was, I'm not here because I have to be here. He's saying, I'm here because I get to be here because it's a privilege for me to serve the Lord. And if you're picking somebody up for church, if you're cleaning the bathroom, Sister Pam, I'm grateful for faithful people. You know, I've never heard Sister Pam ever complain about cleaning this church. In the nearly 21 years I've been here, now she may have, just not to me, I don't know. But I have never heard her complain about cleaning this place. I've heard her get upset at how other people treat the house of God sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with that. This is God's house. You ought to treat it with honor and respect. Amen. But faithful people, if I'm teaching a Bible study, I want to do it with gladness. If I'm baking for a fundraiser, I want to do it with gladness. If I'm preaching the gospel, let it be with gladness. Because if we're doing something in the kingdom of God and the gladness is gone, it's not going to be a good thing. It's not going to be what God wants it to be. It's going to produce fruit that isn't what God wants it to produce. And gladness should not be present just in what we're doing, but also in how we're living. Psalm 64 says, The righteous shall be glad in the Lord. Gladness is a part of righteousness. Psalm 30 and 11, we sing it sometimes, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You've put off my sackcloth. You've taken away the garments of grief and suffering and mourning and you've girded me or you've clothed me with gladness. That means I'm wearing gladness. Years ago, maybe my grandparents' generation, when they talked about going to a fancy event or going out, they talk about putting on your glad rags. Any of you older folks remember that expression? It wasn't just my grandparents. But we ought to look happy. We ought to look glad. I'm not talking about some fake plastic smile. That sort of stuff's creepy. But there ought to be something about us that we are girded with gladness. Amen. Not every day is an easy day. I get that. I live in the same world that you do. We have struggle. We have trouble. We have heartaches. Our hearts are broken sometimes with some of the things that we deal with. But the bigger picture... The bigger picture is that I'm going to heaven. The bigger picture is that I'm not going to hell. And so, yes, my life is tough sometimes, but I want to serve the Lord with gladness. I want to have the joy of the Lord in my heart. I want God to pour some more of that oil of gladness on my head. Say, God, help me to look up. Help me to understand that there is a bigger picture that this life is just a blip of time and that that day is coming when it will all be over. And we can serve the Lord with gladness. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28, if you will, this morning. I'm not going to be very long. I tried to keep my message a little bit brief to talk about the vision. But in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's a long chapter. We're not going to read it all, but... Many of you are familiar with this chapter. It's, 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 it's basically two lists. It's God speaking to Israel and saying, if you do what I tell you to do, if you keep my word, obey my word, obey my commandments, here's a big long list of blessings. You'll be blessed here and blessed there and blessed in and blessed out and blessed up and blessed down. All these blessings. But then there's another list that's the same number of items, and they're called curses. And everybody wants the blessings. Any sensible person doesn't want the curses. There are these two lists, and God's basically saying, it's up to you. Whichever you choose is the list you will get. But then when you get to verse 45, after he's gone through some of those curses, the Lord says, moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee. That's kind of terrifying about being chased by a curse. That would be a good message. I might preach that sometime. Till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenest, they li didn't listen to the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. 
You don't do what God says, you're going to cop the consequences. It's not politically correct today. It's not popular, but it's Bible. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever. Now, some of this in a literal physical sense was a part of the covenant with Israel. I get that. But there are spiritual parallels for the New Testament church. And the next verse is the important one for this morning's message. It says, Because thou served not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. The Lord said, even after everything I've done for you, the abundance of all things, you couldn't serve me with gladness. We have the same problem. We take our eyes on everything that he's done for me, everything that he's provided, and all the stuff that I don't even know about, and we lose our gladness, and God says, you're looking at the wrong thing. You need to get your eyes off that junk that is temporary. Look on that which is eternal and get your gladness back. Hallelujah. 17th chapter of Proverbs and 22nd verse says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Gladness can make you healthier. Let me tell you this. When you go to Mary Hart, that medicine's not just for you. It's for other people. It's for other people. I was listening to a testimony the other day, old preacher in the States, some of you might know his name, Brother Moral Cornwell. He was talking about how in the town where he pastors, he would go to the bank every Monday morning. And the lady that worked at the bank that handled the church's business was very staunch. Um, member of a particular orthodox church in his town and he would go in every monday morning and he'd be saying praise the lord for another week and she'd be like what is wrong with you it's monday and then he would proceed to give her the brief reader's digest synopsis of the message that had been preached at church the day before and go about his day 20 years went past every monday morning mother cornwell went to that bank that lady didn't budge, didn't change, didn't even show any interest. But he said then one day she had a need and she showed up at his church and she'd been there ever since. The only thing he spread was gladness, really. We ought to be clothed in it. That medicine's good for us, but if you haven't got it, nobody else is getting it either. Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house, Lord. Think about whose house this is. Who is it you meet with in this house? It's your neighbor, and I hope you don't have a problem with that. We ought to be glad to see one another here, but whose house is this? When you come here, I hope you don't say, I'm going to Pastor Butcher's house, because it's in Allenbrook. It's not here. And if you're all coming, we need some warning. We don't have enough chairs. But whose house is this? When we come here, this is the house of God. This is the house of of the creator of all things who manifests himself in flesh to wash away my sin. And when I come in this house, it is to remind me and to reinforce and to reaffirm that my sins are under his blood, that I'm ready to go be with him, that I have that oil of gladness on my head. I was glad when they said unto me. You see that verse in Proverbs, that first part says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But there's no full stop there. The second part says, But a broken spirit drieth the bones. There's nothing more miserable than a miserable Christian. There's nothing more miserable than miserable Christians. Because of all people, we should have the joy of the Lord. And if we say, I love you, Jesus, and we're miserable and sad and bitter and twisted, that's not how it ought to be. A merry heart. Again, it's not talking about some false happiness. It's talking about seeing a bigger picture. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. This is usually the context here is talking about giving of our finances, but the principle is bigger. It says, But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, 
For God loveth a cheerful giver. It's not just talking about your money. It's talking about serving the Lord with gladness. There's a principle there, you reap what you sow. You know, I, I don't believe in karma. I don't believe that's of God. But I've noticed a little bit of a pattern over the years with people. Miserable people tend to have miserable things happen to them. I probably, well, I could give you a bit of scripture for that. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you haven't got a whole lot of gladness, there's a good chance the traffic's not coming back the other way. I'm not saying that, you know, not this whole, if you'll bless God, he's got to bless me thing. That's, that's nonsense. But there's a principle there. Cheerfully. Serve the Lord with gladness. God's not interested. You know, you can give every hour of your waking day to the service of God, and if it's done without gladness and without a cheerful heart, God's not real interested. That's what the Bible, you know. Cheerfully. Serve the Lord with gladness. I hope you weren't coming for a deep theological theme for the year, but this is a powerful principle. Whatever I'm going to do for him, I want to do it with gladness. If I'm vacuuming floors, if I'm baking cakes, if I'm picking somebody up, if I'm teaching a home Bible study, whatever it may be, if I'm teaching a Sunday school class or leading a youth group or a ladies group, serve the Lord with gladness. And this is where it gets really politically incorrect. Because that word serve in the 100th Psalm, when you look at the original language, it's possibly accurate to suggest that the better English word is more like being a slave. Now, slavery is a wicked thing in the worldly sense. The fact that people can be bought and sold as possessions is vile and wicked. But the psalm is suggesting that I can be his slave and servant with gladness. Again, we're talking about something that doesn't compute in our brains. Because in 1 Corinthians, the Lord said, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Jesus bought you. Now we think, I'm nobody's possession. But he bought you. He paid for you. Now you got two choices. The Bible says no man can serve two masters. You can choose to have him as your master or you can choose your old master. But the thing is you'll end up in either one of their houses. That's the problem. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. The other option is prepared for the devil and his angels. Amen. So you're going to belong to somebody. Book of Romans says that whom you yield yourselves servants to, that's who you serve. So I don't have a problem with saying that I belong to Jesus. The old song says, I love to be his possession. Whew, you say that nowadays, people say, I'm nobody's possession. I'm not a possession, I'm a person. Yeah, well, the person of God manifest in flesh gave his life so that you could belong to him. We are his children. We are his sons and his daughters, but we are invited to be his servants. You imagine if somebody said, came up to you and said, hey, are you interested in being my slave? You'd be like, uh, thanks, I'll pass. Slaves have no rights. Slaves get no wages. Slaves rest when they're told to rest and not before. You're going to yield yourself to him. You don't get any rights anymore. You don't get wages you get to serve him for his pleasure. And the Lord said, you know, the master of the house comes in, he doesn't wait on the servant. The servant feeds the master before he takes care of himself. All of this goes against our flesh. Our flesh says, react, reject. But when you think, here's the thing about serving the Lord. He does not really need us. If I decide this afternoon, if Brother Moses hurts my feelings at the end of the service, I picked him because it's highly unlikely. And I decide that's it. That's one straw too far. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. No comments about me being a camel. I'm going. I'm leaving this church. I'm never coming back again. I'm resigning as pastor. Not so much enthusiasm about my resignation, Brother Donald. Please. I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. 
God, because he knows all things, has already got the next person ready. The next person, he's pulling up out of sin, washing and filling with his spirit to take my place. You don't believe that? The Lord said, if I tell them to stop worshiping me, the rocks of the ground will cry out. Somebody is going to serve the Lord. Somebody is going to do it with gladness. And if you don't want to yield to that, he'll go around you and find somebody else. But he invites us to serve him. I was at my aunt's house, I think it was last year, Sister Bolette, some of you know her, and uh, I got talked into helping them make some food for a supper or something. So I was in the kitchen making some ginger nut biscuits. There's one that Sister Sheila always asked me to make for her. And my aunt's great-granddaughter, who I think at the time was about three, wanted to help. Three-year-olds in the kitchen, Lord help us. But they had an island bench in the middle of the kitchen, so she wanted to help. And I was on one side of the bench, and she was on the other. And she got that mixing bowl, and it had flour and sugar, and she started stirring. I don't know how much of the flour went this way and how much went that way. And it's a miracle any of the biscuits turned out edible at all. But she was just filled with joy and excitement to help me. Did I need her? Not a whole lot. It would have been a lot easier without her, trust me. But she just said, can I help? And her little eyes lit up and my heart sank. But I couldn't say no. So she got up on that chair and she began to help me and we made a wonderful mess together. And, you know, in her little mind, she thought she made the biscuits. Sometimes we think we've done something. And God's saying, all right, I'll let you believe that for a little while. He does not need us, but he wants us to serve him with gladness. Now, here's the thing. I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't believe I'm a prophet. But if I go back there in 10 years when she's about 15 years old, I'm not sure the willingness to help will be quite at the same level. Anybody notice that when your kids are little, they want to help you with anything? But then when they get old enough to actually do something, they don't want to help you with anything? We've got to be careful that when we've been around a little while, as the children of God, that we get into that stage of life spiritually where we lose that simple childlike faith that says, Can I serve my Heavenly Father? Can I help my Heavenly Father? Is there something I can do, Lord? Can I get you the eggs? Can I get you the sugar? Can we make some biscuits together, Lord? Does he need me? No. He doesn't need me. In fact, the Bible talks about him using the foolish things to confound the wise. He raises up people that the the world looks at and says, Them? Really? And God says, Watch what I can do with that vessel. Amen. Serve the Lord with gladness. I want us to stand this morning.